to preach after all of this. And actually, I, it's not a particularly long sermon, but it's a good one. At least people in the first service said it was. Would you stand with me? Let's read a passage from John. <clears throat> Oops, I better turn this on, then I can make it work. Yeah. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Father, I thank you for your chosen one. I thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is here. Anoint us to hear what you want to say to us today. Give us soft hearts to receive what you want to pour into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. John the Baptist is, uh, himself appears in John's gospel, uh, John the Apostle, the, the disciples' gospel twice, uh, here in chapter 1 and then over in chapter 3. And both times, if you look at the things that he has to say, you just, you just have to stand in awe of this guy. You, you, you kind of fall away from him going, wow. Well, what an incredible person this is. Because he's the one who, over in chapter 3, he talks about, I must decrease, he must increase. And he's saying this at a time when people are coming to him and saying, hey, this guy's taking your disciples away. we got to do something about this. He's going, yeah, we're going to do something about it. I need to decrease. I need to let him increase. What a man John was. And he's mentioned several times throughout the gospel of 
by Jesus. And as I mentioned last week, it's because he was the one who was anointed to bring testimony about who Jesus was. Uh, it's clear that John had a unique place in the story, but it's equally clear that he grasped nothing for himself. And that's something I'm going to spend a little bit of time on today because the reason he does that is that's in keeping with God's nature. Over in uh, Philippians chapter 2, when it's talking about Jesus, it says that though he, was, though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to be grasped. He didn't, he didn't think that it was something to go out and get a hold of. And we learned last week, well, actually, hopefully we already knew it, that whenever you see Jesus, you see what God's like. This is God's nature. This is, this is the way God does things. John the Baptist reminds me here in this particular situation of one of my favorite uh, quotes from C.S. Lewis, and it's not something that he wrote, but it was a response that he had in an interview. He was asked what he thought about the fact that he was being called the apostle to the agnostics, and what, what do you think about the fact that you're being called the most influential, the most important Christian writer of the 20th century? And his response was great. He said, I try not to think about it at all. Because when you start thinking about, when you start reading your own press clippings, you're either going to get depressed or you're going to be disillusioned. That doesn't sound like the right word. You will enter an illusionary world where you begin to believe what people are saying about you, if it's, if it's good. And John is asked in this particular passage, he's asked, who are you? The, uh, the Jewish leaders apparently... Uh, came they wanted this information from him he was quite creating quite a stir and and they didn't know who he was and so they had some suggestions and first of all they said well are you are you the messiah well that didn't take him very long to, to no no i'm not the messiah i am not your savior i'm not my own savior even so no i'm i'm not the messiah and then i want to take it a little bit out of order are you are you the prophet and this is a reference to deuteronomy chapter 18 moses uh, it's a very famous passage of scripture to the uh, to the Israelites. There, and he 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 said this. He said, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, for your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him." And in fact, he goes on to say in verse nineteen, "I will call. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name." And that's what they're referring to. They're going, "Are, are you the prophet? Are you the one?" that Moses was talking about that was going to be like him and, and we're supposed to listen to him. And, you know, John could have fudged a little bit here because John was a prophet. And, you know, he could, have, he could have gone into a little explanation. You know, no, I'm not the prophet. No, I am a prophet. Please understand. But I'm not the prophet in answer to your question. He didn't equivocate at all. He just went, no. No, I'm not. Well, are you Elijah. And this one's a little trickier because Jesus himself said that John was Elijah. Over in, uh, well, and, and this is a reference to really the, the next to the last verse in the, in the, in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, the prophecy says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And so people were looking for Elijah to come. And they're coming and saying, well, are, are, are you him? Are you the one who's getting ready to announce to us that the great and dreadful day of the Lord is coming? That's what they're referencing there. 
And in fact, even today at, at Passover, um, frequently they'll pour a cup for Elijah but with the hope that Elijah will actually show up and announce the coming of Messiah. And so that's what they were, uh, that's what they were asking him here. Jesus, over in Matthew chapter 17, his disciples uh, asked him, they said, well, why do the, why do the teachers of the law and, and the priests say that Elijah must come first? I mean, we, we were kind of thinking you were Messiah, and we hadn't seen Elijah yet. And Jesus said to them, I tell you, Elijah has already come. They didn't recognize him. They've done to him everything they wished. They cut his head off, actually. And then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. And I'm actually kind of encouraged by this passage for a number of reasons. One of them is, even Jesus had trouble with people listening to what he had to say. Because back in six chapters earlier, in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 11, uh, he was teaching the people and he, and, and he said, and I tell you, if you're willing to accept it, he was talking about John the Baptist, he was Elijah. He was the Elijah that was to come. Uh, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear, is, is what he said after that, because maybe he was aware that, you know, some people were texting or they were <laughs> in their happy place or something while he was talking to them. And apparently they were, because here it is six chapters later, and the guys are going, um, Elijah was, you know, somebody said something about Elijah. Um, I, maybe it was Jesus. Do you remember what his sermon was about last month? Last week? <laughs> hey, that's okay. Sometimes I don't remember what my sermon was about last week, but that's uh, just admitting something there. Uh, and this would also be a caution to, uh, to those who think that everything in Scripture has to be taken literally. Now, uh, Jesus didn't necessarily take everything literally. He certainly took the Scripture's truth. But he understood that literal isn't always the best way to communicate truth. Now, is Elijah literally going to come back? I think he will. Oh, over in Revelation, it talks about two witnesses who come back before the coming of the Lord. And I think Elijah is going to be one of those. But that's, you know, that's just what I think. Uh, if, he, if he does or if he doesn't, he's already been here because John the Baptist was the Elijah, for sure. But oftentimes, prophecies have multiple fulfillments and, and things in them. And Jesus understood that. John could have easily gone into a little explanation and claimed uh, to be the title of Elijah. Now let me, let me explain to you. You see, I wasn't actually the guy who went up to heaven in a chariot of fire, but I really am Elijah because I am the one who is anointed to come and fulfill the office of Elijah. And what a buzz that would have created. I mean, it wouldn't have taken long for everybody in Israel to be talking about, Elijah's here. We got, we got to go hear what this guy's got to say. So did John blow a great opportunity here to really do something for God? No. And here's the point. God does not need us to create buzz. When we create buzz, bad things happen. When we, when we begin to, to uh, figure out how to accomplish something for God, we end up accomplishing not what we thought we were going to accomplish. 
In fact, we end up basically accomplishing nothing. Jesus, when the people came, after Jesus fed the 5,000, the people wanted to make him king. And when he realized that they were wanting to try and come and force him to be their king, he went up in the mountain and, and hid. They, they couldn't find him. You kind of go, well, wait a minute, he was their king. Yes, he was their king. But he knew two things here. First of all, he knew that they had absolutely no clue, no idea what they were talking about when they said, we want this man to be our king. But even more importantly, he knew that they did not have the authority to make him king. And since they didn't have the authority to make him king, how can they come and make him king? The only thing they can do is mess it up. God's the one who has that authority. And we, we, we come to places in, in our life where, you know, we know that God is, has called us to something or God's given us something or we can see it out there somewhere. And first thing we do, especially, especially as Americans, first thing we do is we got we to figure out how to make that happen. And when we do, we inevitably mess it up. God is the only one who can exalt a person and establish them. Whether it's, whether it's in ministry or business or testifying or whatever it may happen to be. Relationships. He's the only one who can actually establish those things. And so we wait on him. When I was uh, in my early 20s, I wasn't walking with the Lord. I didn't know Margaret. And after I gave my life to the Lord, I was walking with the Lord. I didn't know Margaret, but I knew there were a lot of pretty Christian girls around. And I tried to fix things for God. But he had something better for me. You know, and there were times I was very frustrated about this. I'm going, God, send me to Zimbabwe to find a wife. <laughs> actually, I didn't even know where it, it, it wasn't Zimbabwe then. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually wasn't at the time. But Jesus wouldn't let them make him a king. Moses wasn't really useful as a deliverer until he got over the desire to be the guy. I mean, Moses tried to deliver Israel. He killed an Egyptian out there trying to get it done. And all it did was mess things up. I don't know if it set the deal back 40 years. It set it back 40 years for Moses. And then when God finally came, I, boy, I, you got to know that God just loves messing with us because we're just so duh. And when, when, uh, when, when God finally came and said, you know, it's time to go in and deliver Israel and I want you to do it. You know, Moses is, is at the place where he's going, not me. No, I tried that. I can't do it. You're right. You can't do it. And you're probably the only person on the planet right now who knows they can't do it. And that's why I can use you. Because I'm the one who's going to do it. David, the things that God gave, not only would David not grasp the throne, the kind of guy that he was... When he was offered the opportunity to become the king's son-in-law, he goes, do you think it's a small thing to be the king's son-in-law? I mean, I'm, I'm just from a poor family. I'm little known. I, I can't. No. Everything he got, God gave to him. Even Jesus himself. 
Jesus said over in John chapter 5, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. If I, if I go around, I am Messiah. Yeah, that's not the way God rolls. That's not how he does it. And this is actually a fulfillment of a passage of scripture in Isaiah 42. And it's one of my favorite passages. I'm going to digress for a minute, but let's read it. We don't, well, you can read it out loud if you want to. Uh, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one. You don't want to, huh? In, in, in whom I delight. That's okay. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. Oh, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Probably the most famous part of this passage, though, is a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Uh, speaking of taking things literally, that's not about a stalk of grass and a candle wick. It's about us. It's about you. And in fact, I uh, heard Judson Cornwall share on this passage one time, and, I, and it It'll stick with me forever. He was talking about the fact that the bruised reed there isn't, the word doesn't denote a stalk of grass. It's, it's like the reed that is put in, a, in, a, in an instrument, in a, in a woodwind instrument. And apparently when uh, the reed gets damaged, it can no longer be used. And you can do one of two things with it. You can toss it and get another reed and put it in. Or you can apparently, I don't know much about these things, but apparently you can also take it and you can get your tools out and you can, you can reshape it and you can uh, spend, uh, uh, give it time to heal where it's been injured and then it's useful again where you can put it back in the instrument and use it. And what he's saying here is that when Messiah comes across somebody who's broken, somebody who's injured, he doesn't just go, well, let me get another one here. No, he takes them and he works on them and he's patient with them and he restores them where they can be used. And uh, the smoking wick's even better. How many of you have ever seen a candle? It's a trick question. I, I know that all of you have, at least pictures. And uh, how many of you have ever lit a candle? How many of you have ever blown out a candle? And once the candle is blown out, don't you just love to stand over it and smell the aroma of the wick as the smoke drifts up into your eyes and you're going... <laughs> you know how to stop that, don't you? That's how you stop it. It'll stop right away. But it says that when Messiah comes along, and, he, and you, you know what a smoldering wick equates to in people? Can you say irritant? Do you know anybody who's a smoldering wick? Are you, in fact, yourself? It says when, when he comes along and he encounters those kinds of people, he doesn't go, Psst. He goes, fire, come on, burn, burn. Let's get some, let's make you useful again. 
But like I say, that was a digression. What I really wanted to point out is it says he will not shout or cry out in the streets or raise his voice. He won't be out there waving his flag going, hey, everybody, here I am. Because that's not how God does it. I've spent a lot of time on this point because the American church has forgotten it at best and despises it at worst. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody. I mean, you know, we, give, we gave candy bars away a couple of years ago, carols by candlelight, you know. That's, uh, so, I mean, and, you know, and there'd be people who'd kind of go, oh, boy, uh-uh. Yeah, but, you know, nothing focuses people's attention on Jesus like a drawing for a new car. <laughs> you know, people got to do what they've got to do, whatever God has called them to do, and, that, and, that, and that's fine. And, you know, and if that brings somebody in and they do, in fact, get saved, hallelujah, give, give away 10 new cars. But I'm just knowing that if I went to a service and that's what they were going to be doing, guess what I'd be thinking about during the service? But hey, we had all these people show up. Haven't we really done something for God? That's bigger, better, faster, stronger. That's the American church. Peter says, God opposes the proud, gives favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, at the proper time. Who are you then? You know, if you're not Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, who are you? I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. It's not who I am. It's my message about who he is. See, in in, in this day where we uh, try to psych ourselves out to build up our self-esteem and realize that we're important and you know, I, I'm important, I'm important, I'm important, I'm special, I'm special, I'm good looking, I'm good looking. You know, whatever it is that you do, you know, all it takes is, you, is to go out there in, in life and, and pay attention to realize I'm really not that hot. Seriously. When you get right down to it. I, I mess up all the time. I I do. I don't know about you. Yes, I do. You you do too. (laughs) But when you become so attracted to Jesus that the focus changes from me to him, then God will lift you up. He will establish you. He, he, He will make your way straight. He will establish your steps and it's it's no longer important whether i'm special or not i am because he died on the cross for me i am because i'm an heir of god and co-heir with jesus christ i am because everything is mine but that doesn't matter i try not to think about that at all he's special and no matter you know the bad 10 minutes that you have almost every hour of the day when that comes along i mean when i get when i when i preach a, when i when i get ready to preach a sermon it's just it's so inevitable because i know whatever it is and i'm getting ready to tell you all i'm going to discover at some point this week big time that i don't do this very well now i'm just being honest with you 
But when you hit those times and hit them and hit them and hit them and hit them, it doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change how he feels about you. It doesn't, it doesn't change your destiny. Why do you baptize? Where'd you get this authority? Well, you don't have a title. You don't have a name. You don't have a degree. Where's your certificate? Certificates, are, you know, they're good. I'm, I'm glad y'all got them. I've got a certificate, you know, on the wall. But that doesn't make, that doesn't make me genuine. Only he does. And it was the Pharisees who asked this question because they were, they were most concerned with titles and tech, technical arguments. Hey, we, look, we know all about baptism, and we know who can do it and who can't do it and how it's supposed to be done and how it's not supposed to be done, where it's supposed to be done and where it's not supposed to be done, and you're not doing it right. And John, John goes, look, guys, I'm just baptizing with water. That's not really the issue you ought to be concerned about. The issue you ought to be concerned about is the fact that there is one who stands among you and you don't know who he is. You don't recognize him. We get so taken up with this when that's staring us right in the face. I baptize with water, but that's not the issue. We love to turn molehills into mountains, especially when it comes to religion. The issue you should be concerned about is, is who he is. And, and John revealed who he was as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Over in Genesis chapter 22, uh, Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac. And, and he and Isaac are, are going up the hill where they're, he's going to be sacrificed. And, and Isaac's carrying the wood. And he turns to his father and he says, Father, well, here's the wood. Here's the knife. Here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, My son, God himself will provide a sacrifice. And yes, there was a ram caught in the thicket, but that wasn't the end of the story. Isaiah 53, 7. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before her shearers is silent. He didn't open his mouth. He's talking about Messiah. Over in Revelation uh, chapter 5 where John is weeping because no one is found who can open the, the scroll and, and tear the seals. And, and he says, don't weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah can do that. And when he turns to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, what he sees at, at the center of the throne, at the very center of the heart of God, is a lamb that looks as if it has been slain. And John came to reveal him. Everybody else was, they were looking for a, a conqueror on a white horse. John was anointed to look for the lamb who takes away sin because that's really our problem. I myself did not know him. But the reason that I came baptizing, you want to know, you shouldn't be going, uh, you want to know why I baptized? The reason I came baptizing with water is so he could be revealed. Because that's how I found out who he was. Now, whether, whether John or Jesus had met before is, is, is questionable. We don't know that for sure. It's reasonable to assume that they did. Obviously, his mother Mary knew John's mother Elizabeth. 
they had, they had visited one another. And when Jesus came to be baptized, John apparently knew that Jesus was an extraordinary man because he, he deferred. You know, I, I need to be baptized by you, and you're, you're wanting me to baptize you? That's... So he knew, and he wasn't saying that because he realized that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't know who the Messiah was yet. And this is where the language kind of gets tricky because it's kind of go, well, you know, he said that he... He didn't know him. Well, he, he knew him. He knew Jesus. He just didn't know he was Messiah. And he knew that Jesus was somebody that if he ever, you know, hit one of those 10 minutes on a bad hour or, or whatever or had a bad day or something, John had never seen it. He knew this guy, this guy's a few steps ahead of me. That's for sure. But that didn't mean he was Messiah. That's how man judges things. Man goes, you know, you know, I, I'll tell you how we're going to decide who Messiah is. Let's vote on it. We'll just vote on Messiah. Yeah. That's how we'd figure it out. No, no, that's not how God does things. It's not how John did things. All outward appearances may have pointed to Jesus being the Messiah because he was so good that John was intimidated to baptize him, but John knew that no matter how great or good the appearance, that's not what really counts. How did John know Jesus was the Messiah, the Lamb of God? I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify this is the chosen one. Son of God. Now, very quickly here, the Spirit come down and remain. Prior to that time, the Spirit would come and leave. Come and leave. Come and leave. This is the first time that ever happened, where he came and remained. Now, we, we're kind of used to that idea, the fact that uh, they're not bored with the sermon. They're going to fix lunch for you guys. So just... That's, <laughs> I don't think they're bored with the servant. <laughs> um, we're so used to the idea of the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling believers because unless somebody has the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. So every believer has the Holy Spirit inside of them. But that had never happened before. So God said, okay, John, this is what you look for. Something that, is, something that has never happened before is going to happen. And it's going to happen when you baptize him. You're going to see the Holy Spirit come down and remain on him. And so John's going, well, if, if that's how I'm going to know who he is, I better get to baptize him. And, you know, while we're at it, we'll call people to repentance. But the important thing here is got to find him. And the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and remained on him. And I'm just wondering, did anybody else see that? I mean, you know, were the, were the people all standing around going, oh, ooh, look, there's a dove landing on him. Maybe, maybe not. When I was in my mid-20s and came back to the Lord, I won't bore you with the details of the, the, the way that God revealed himself to me because you would be bored. But the signs that he gave me weren't for you. They were for me. And I realized when I saw them that I could either 
blow them off because nobody else was standing around going, did you see that? Or I could realize, hey, he just spoke to me. What am I going to do with that? Do I diss that? Do I ignore that? Or do I follow that? And and as as we go through our day, there are plenty of times that we tend to ask God for things or we ask God to show us something or we ask God to speak to us or we ask God to reveal himself. And you know what? He does. But he doesn't necessarily do it in a way where everybody's going, ooh, call the cameras. Let's YouTube this thing. He does it in a way where you know he's spoken to you. Stephen Curtis Chapman has a, a song that from years and years ago that I just love. Um, uh, waiting for lightning, looking for lightning. Uh, waiting for lightning, listening for thunder. Uh, while he quietly whispers your name. And you're kind of going, where's the lightning? Where's the thunder? And all the time he's going, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. And what I hope to have happen today, because... You know, most everybody here knows the Lord's walking with the Lord, or at least knows what that's about. What I hope to have happen is I hope we become sensitized to the place where we realize, okay, it's not about the flash, it's not about the buzz, it's not about the, 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 the iffy stuff, it, it's about him and him speaking to me. See, John said, I knew who he was because God gave me a word. The word of God told me something. And then I looked for it, and it happened, and I went, that's it. God said it. I believe it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. Not all who happened to be there at the time, but all. Our God is so great. He is so powerful. He is so wise. John the Baptist came 2,000 years ago, saw a dove descend on Jesus and realized it was the Holy Spirit, testified to him because God knew you were going to be here today. To hear that testimony and believe it. Would you stand with me? And when those who are going to pray for people who come down, and, and as they do, let me just say this because, you know, we do this every week or just about every week. I mean, when Barbie preaches, everybody comes down and cries. But, you know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm preaching, you know, we, we do this every week. And, uh, and I'm very intentional about that. I, I feel like this is important. And here's the thing. You know, when I'm talking about God whispering and doing things that are just, just for you, they happen all the time, and we ignore them all the time. And, and if something is, if you need prayer for something, if something's going on in your life right now, the, the enemy will do anything he possibly can to distract you. Oh, I've prayed about that before. Or, uh, 
you, you know, you're thinking about something else, you get in the car and you start to drive home and go, oh, I, meant to, I meant to have that prayed for. Or, you know, I've been dealing with this for like six months. Maybe I should have prayer about it with somebody. We're going to worship for a few moments. And the, the altar's open. And if you need prayer, if you need Christ, if you need healing, if you need wisdom, direction, whatever, a broken relationship healed, you come. Oh, because a bruised reed he will not break smoldering wick he will not put out
love you guys. Raise your hand. We give you a blessing. And the God and the Father of our Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent His Son into the world as the Lamb of God to take away all sins. May He give you ears to hear His whispers. May He give you eyes to see His wonders. May He give you a heart to understand the depth of His love for you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.